0: Jesus has a marketing problem. I don't know about you, but when we are trying to attract people's attention at UTS to get them to know about uh, the Christian Bible studies that we're running there, we offer them baked goods, chocolate biscuits, things like that. Come along and make a badge, have some fun, let's talk, because otherwise they just pass us by. But in Jesus' day, or in this story, great crowds are following him. And there's a thing about great crowds, often people don't know why they're there. What's happening? must be good. Everyone's going. Let's go along. (laughs) And so in that context, Jesus wants to sift them a little bit and find out who's really serious about this whole discipleship thing and who isn't. And so he comes in pretty hard with this statement about hating your mother or your father or your husband or your wife or your children. My goodness, what's that about? That's my family. Mother's Day up at the QVB. We love our families, don't we? Don't we naturally love our families? It's a natural thing to do. I guess there's some exceptions. Some people struggle in that area. But for most of us, most of the time, we really love our families. Family is a natural primary commitment. When I think about the people who make up my immediate family, I don't think there's anything I wouldn't do to be with them and to help them and to serve them. They are my first commitment. And more than this, up until recently, a primary commitment to family was also your main survival mechanism because families helped ensure a person's safety and the provision of basic daily necessities. And in most places today, that remains the case. Family is the most fundamental building block of the community. How outrageous that Jesus should suggest that we hate the members of our family. This is a scandal, is it not? He's trying to upset people, I think. Not you, Seb, just other people. (laughs) Now, this isn't really about disinterest in the way that we sometimes think about disinterest. Jesus is not saying, become disinterested in your family because that's easy to happen in a horrible kind of way in our modern world because we are uh, so able to support ourselves without family structure around us. Now, sometimes we don't think we need families so much. Have you ever been out somewhere and seen a family together but not interacting because they're all on their devices or something like that. So they're together, they're cohabitating as it were, but they're not interacting. They're no longer connecting with each other in the most fundamental ways really. Because when, when we don't realise our need for family, that's easy to have happen. We become detached from one another and uh, that's not what Jesus is referring to here. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is offering us a very stark choice. He's inviting us to follow him, to make a decision about our primary allegiance. Rather than simply assuming our default allegiance, which is with family, Jesus is indicating that we need to make a choice that in many ways subverts our instincts. This does not mean abandoning our family. It means being willing and ready to step beyond the default systems that hold us. And a family system is one of the primary systems that hold us. Ultimately, this can be an expression of real love for family and for everyone else because when the call of Christ runs counter to our family system, you can be sure that the call of Christ is the more profound loving way. Because all systems, even family systems, tend towards self-interest. You see this in every system you'll engage in. People naturally tend to want to draw the boundaries of concern ever closer to themselves. That's what we do. You know, taxation systems designed to share the resources of the country with the whole, whole place, but we all work out how little tax we can pay, right? We want to make it work for us. And the call of Christ is always to do something more than that. It will, bring us, it will bring the disciple into confrontation with the established ways of doing things. And then a choice must be made. Who do you love? Who do you love most? And who will you forego or let go of? Now, clearly choices like these are not for the faint of heart, but they are the choices that are the stuff of discipleship. Because discipleship is not simply a part of life, uh, it defines the whole direction of a person's life. If following Jesus were simply a side project for your life, then the notion of choosing between Jesus and your family would be ridiculous, right? It simply wouldn't make sense. But if this is the single single most important project a person can undertake in their life, if discipleship is in fact the project of a person's life then any cost, no matter how extreme, is worth considering. Now, if you do decide to devote yourself to Jesus, if it's so important to you that you would put at risk those most fundamental relationships, you don't want to do this lightly or in an empty kind of way. Jesus uses a story of a major building project to illustrate this. And uh, it made me think of uh, our Malcolm here when we started talking about the need to attend to the steeple and uh, we knew it needed to be done and Mao was watching the bank account and he said, look, there's no point doing anything until we have X number of dollars because you can't start this project and stop halfway. That becomes a monument to incompetence. And Jesus really wants people to be aware of how critical discipleship is and not to make a half-hearted or half-baked, to use the theme of the day, half-baked commitment to the whole idea. So it's a challenging idea. You've got to think seriously about it and see if you're up for it. But that's not all you've got to think about because he tells a second story about the armies coming together. It's not simply a matter of am I willing to put my relationships at risk or not What happens if I decide against discipleship? And there, Jesus' story about the two opposing armies. If you've only got 10,000 in your army and the other guy's got 20,000 in his army, are you going to join the battle? Or would it make more sense to come to terms, to work out whether you can't come to an agreement rather than have a massive loss of life and a monumental defeat? And Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom of God is a massive, powerful, coercive, manipulative thing that's going to force you to do something you don't want to do. It's more attuned to the way the power of truth works, for example. Truth is a kind of unstoppable force, I think. And truth isn't out to get us, or at least not unless we are people of half-truth or lies and deception. If we live our, world, live our lives in a world where we like to tell half-truths and lie and deceive, then truth kind of is out to get us, right? But not because truth is out to get us, just because we're scared of something that is. There's an inevitability that the truth will find us out. It will come forth. Truth is not co- intimidating or coer- coercive, It simply is a thing. And the kingdom of God has a similar dynamic. It is coming with an unstoppable power, like the power of truth. And at the very end of this little passage, there's a lovely little throwaway line that Jesus says, so unless you give up all your possessions, you can't follow me, you can't be my disciple. Oh, nice, easy, sweet. It's interesting here that Jesus doesn't say unless you give away all your possessions. He says give up. And there is a difference. To the rich young ruler, he tells him give up, give away all your possessions rather. But here he uses a word that's kind of like give up. It has a sense of hold loosely to, be ready to let go of at the drop of a hat. And you've got to wonder, why is Jesus always so uptight about people's possessions? And I think it's because of the meaning that we invest in them. While they are things that we actually possess, they hold. Uh, the way we hold our possessions often mean that they have a hold on us, and they kind of possess us in a funny kind of way. Sometimes, I mean, consider—this probably doesn't happen anymore. But when I was a young man, a young man loved to buy his perfect car. That was the thing that you would do. You'd you'd buy the car that expressed the kind of young man you were so it would be fast and red and you know have certain kinds of tires and the engine would sound a certain way and you would see young men save up and buy this vehicle that would give them a certain amount of freedom geographically they could move around the place it would give them a certain status and identity and they would constantly be thinking about how to upgrade this so a nice new steering wheel or the gear shifter or seat covers, I don't know, a tune-up, the the foils or the colours or whatever it might be. And on the weekend, it wouldn't be uncommon to find the young man polishing his beloved, (laughs) saving his pennies. And you could easily see it's almost like the possession has possessed the person. That's a cartoonish extreme example. But for all of us in a more general kind of way, we like our possessions, don't we? we find ourselves amongst them. I know that when I go away for a couple of weeks and I come home to my kitchen or my bathroom, where everything's where I like it, or my bed, there is no more comfortable bed than my, every now and then there is, but no, most of the time I really like my bed. And I feel at home there and I find myself there and we kind of locate ourselves amongst our possessions they hold us and tell us who we are. And Jesus is saying that he wants to hold us and tell us who we are. He wants to give us our identity in the world and he wants us to let go of every other identity. He wants to help us be free from everything so that we can follow his call into life and not be held captive by anything that will not bring us that life, not release us into that life. And see, the problem about this is that simply because uh, any affection for one thing will take away affection for another thing. It draws us away. So if we have a primary commitment to one, any other Devotion becomes a distraction from that primary commitment. It's a focus, or sorry, a locus of compromise, a point of division within ourselves, and we will despise that which takes us away from our true love. And Jesus says in a place, he will love one and despise the other. It causes a division within us, and Jesus gets that, and so he says... Make that most fundamental, that most primary of decisions about where your commitment is. Jesus knows that his way is an entirely new and different way. It challenges our default assumptions to the very core and so the choice to follow Jesus is a choice against our inherited ways, a choice to go beyond our instinct. It is not a natural nor an easy choice and in some ways it never becomes natural and it never gets easier. But to follow the way of Christ is to learn to love not just ourselves and not just our immediate families but to love everyone, which sounds a bit too hard to do but that's the call of Christ. And it keeps calling us in that way to love in the most <clears throat> thoroughgoing way. And so the question is are you up for that kind of radical call? Because that's what discipleship means. Think about it. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are no soft touch and you're not just talking about everything being rosy and easy, but you know that there are fundamental decisions we need to make that have far-reaching consequences. Help us to understand what that means for us in our discipleship today, that we might be set free from a primary commitment to those who are closest to us so that we might genuinely love them better as we follow you. To the glory of your name. Amen.